today in Canada and around the world, there's probably more religions now that have ever existed. Yet in many countries, including our own, Christianity is often singled out and people try to silence it. There's a hatred against Christianity that doesn't exist for, say, Buddhists or First Nations spirituality or Muslims or I guess it would be Islam. But there is, a, there is an undercurrent of countries around the world trying to silence Christianity. Yet there's a growing understanding for other religions. And we don't see... We, if you're a Christian, you're probably not getting hurt for being a Christian. You might get made fun of, maybe disrespected, but you've probably never bled for being a Christian. Last year, attacks against the church around the world rose almost 500% around the world. There's almost 9,500 9, churches attacked in 2020 versus in 2019, there are only 1,800. 9,500 compared to almost 1,800. These attacks included church closures, and a lot of these threats and these harms occurred in China. Every day, every day, 12 churches or Christians are being attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned and another five are abducted against their will around the world every day. We have tremendous freedom here in Canada. And yes, it's possible our government is trying to silence us, and it does seem that way in some ways. But what, what is happening? And people might think, well, why can't we just get along? Why can't we all just be friends? Well, yeah, that's a good question. And maybe you've seen a sticker on a, on, a, on a car, or maybe you've seen it on social media or in the news. It says coexist. Why can't just all religions get along? You have Buddhism. You have Krishna. You have Zoroastrians, you have Baha'is. Why can't we just all coexist? And why can't we all just get along? When Christianity comes and says, well, we can get along, but we don't have to agree. We don't have to assume that everything is true. Every religion, I think except for universalism, has an exclusive claim Christianity is no different. We claim that there is one way to God, there is one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ alone. We didn't make that message up. We get it from God himself. And when we say that, we're saying every other religion, every other faith is false and wrong. And we tell them, turn to God. Turn to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. This sermon is going to be recorded. 
It's going to be put online. And it's possible that it could be shared, and what I'm saying right now is considered hate speech or bigotry. It's very unpopular. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, is it true? When I make a claim that there is only one true God, there is only one true God, there is only one way to heaven. There is no under name under heaven in which people can be saved. It is through Jesus Christ alone. Is that narrow-minded? Maybe. But it's true. And the invitation is open to all. It does not matter your wealth. It does not matter your ethnicity. God is the one true God and He welcomes everybody. And so we're in a book. It's called First Kings. It's in the Old Testament. There's a first Kings in the Old Testament, and there's a second Kings. Originally, there were one book. And it's been separated for organization's sake. And the story of First Kings is it, it picks up with the death of King Solomon. And King Solomon was the son of King David. And the book of Kings, 1st and 2nd Kings, is a book about the story of the kings who ruled God's people. But most of them, they were evil, they followed after other gods, and the nation that God had built, the nation of Israel, continued to spiral out of control, where initially God created this good world for you and for me, for people to live in harmony with one another and with God, and our rebellion broke that, and sin entered into the world and cursed each of us, cursed all of humanity, and people begin to spiral out of control, being made further and further away from God. And then the land, it was divided it was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom, Judah. And amongst these kings was one of the most evil kings. His name was Ahab and his queen Jezebel, who brought the worship of a false god named Baal or Baal. They brought the worship of Baal to new heights. And Baal, this false god, he was considered to be a storm god. He was in control of the rain and the thunder and the storm. He was also a god of fertility that he would bring life. People back in the Old Testament times would sacrifice their children to Baal. He is one of the most prominent false gods in ancient history. And then we meet this man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God. God would speak to him and he would speak to the people about what God wanted them to do. He was this prophet. And Elijah, he tried to turn the Israelites away from the worship of these false gods to the true God, Yahweh. 
challenging their beliefs against Baal. And then they have a showdown. Elijah and over 400 prophets have a showdown at a place called Mount Carmel. Not Mount Caramel, which would be a very delicious mountain. Not Mount Caramel. It's Mount Carmel. And it means jungle or garden or orchard. And so we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're in verses 20 to 40. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 to 40. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God and all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming, or he is relieving himself, or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. They all crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did, and he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. 
At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and killed them there. This true story is very disturbing. What you have is the prophet of God, Elijah, challenging 450 prophets of Baal to go to Mount Carmel. And he says, listen, build an altar where it was custom to, to burn animal sacrifices to your God, you build one. You choose your bull, but don't set it on fire. Because the true, to prove he, who is the true God, the true God of the universe, the one true God of Israel, whoever, whichever God listens and burns this bull, that is the true God. And everyone agreed to this to this proposition, to this challenge. And so as the prophets of Baal were lighting the, or were setting up the bowl, they're calling to their God, they're screaming from morning till afternoon, they were cutting themselves. There was no answer. Their false God was silent and could do nothing. He had no power. He did nothing. When Elijah goes, he builds his altar with 12 stones, each stone representing a tribe of Israel. He prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He prays to the one true God. And he sets fire to the bull. And then the prophets say, He is God. He is Lord. But it's too late. Elijah says, kill them all. And all the prophets are slaughtered. This is a very disturbing story. Yet it is a consistent and powerful reminder for us even today that the one true God will deal with those who oppose him. It is part of what it means to be God. In verse 40, it says, Everyone, all the prophets were killed. Everyone? Everyone was killed? What? What is happening? Why did you come to church at 3 in the afternoon to listen to this horrifying message? What, is, what are you talking about? Everyone was killed. Why don't Christians today then kill people from other religions? That's actually a good question. It is. Because the logic follows, hey, these guys don't follow a true God, and Elijah seemingly by the blessings of God, slaughtered all of them. Why don't we do that? Other religions do that. 
Why don't we do that? We absolutely do not do that. So do not pause and leave now and think, okay, I have some sort of license to murder people. No, you do not. No. The first reason. Romans 12, chapter 9. It's in the New Testament. Romans 12, chapter 9. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Something has happened in between Elijah's time and now that we don't do this kind of cleansing anymore. A sacrifice came on the behalf of people who worshipped the false god. That sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect Lamb of God who died once and for all, that our sins and our rebellion by following after different bales could be forgiven. That sacrifice was named Jesus Christ, our Savior. So all of our sin, all of our rebellion, past, present, future, and for everyone else, was placed on Jesus Christ. He absorbs the wrath that we deserve so that by faith, when we believe in that, we are forgiven. So we forgive others. We do not go around killing people who are not Christians. That's the first thing. Leave it to God. The second thing, this might be a new word, is that in Elijah's time, during this story, they were a theocracy. They were a theocratic state. What does that mean? It means that all their laws were directly from God. Theo meaning God. They were a society built around the laws of God. There was no separation of church and state. There was one ethnic, religious society. So what God says happened. And that's how they were to live. They were a theocracy. We are not one religious, ethnic government anymore. In the time of Israel, during this time, that's what it was. They had certain laws that they were to obey. We'll read one in a second from Deuteronomy. It was to show that they were one nation under God and they ran as a theocracy. We are no longer that anymore. We are to give credence and we are to follow God. We are to obey Him at His word. But we are not to enact this type of cleansing anymore. We have a new covenant. We have a new law. Thirdly, we move from execution to excommunication. We move from execution to excommunication. What does that mean? The reason people during this time needed to be taken care of it's because they didn't want this corrupt generation to corrupt the next and corrupt the next and thus infect all of God's people and thus the world. They were taking a cancer out of the body. They were taking an infection out of the body for the good of the body. This needed to happen. But we don't do that anymore. We go from, we go from execution to excommunication. We are to represent a perfectly good and holy God. He gave us his laws that would reflect his character. 
and we live as Christians, if you are a Christian, to reflect his character. We no longer we don't kill people. It is the role of the local church to carry one another's burdens, to keep one another accountable, to to confess our sins to one another. The local church, we are to hold one another accountable. And it is the role of the elders of the church to see that people are walking in love, in honor, in dignity, reflecting the goodness of Jesus Christ. And when people don't, we come as iron sharpens iron. And we must confront because rampant, unrepentant sin is an affront to the gospel. It does not reflect the goodness of Jesus. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. There's only one perfect person and he sacrificed his life for us on Calvary. But in order to reflect that, we need each other. There's blind spots that we have that others can see. We have to lovingly approach each other and say, maybe you shouldn't do this and maybe you should start doing this. And just because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean I am at this level. No, we are here, equal amongst the gospel, made equal in the image of God, and we hold one another accountable. And what I mean by excommunication is, if there's a brother or sister who sins against you, you go to them and you confront them of their sin, you tell them. If they listen to you, it's all good. You go to Chuck E. Cheese, you get a burger, it's all good. If they don't listen to you, you bring another witness. And this principle is in place because then you don't go on witch hunts. You don't just say, my neighbor's a witch. And like, she's a witch. Go kill her. You need corroborating evidence. Right? That's why you bring another witness. If this person doesn't listen to you, you bring another person. And then you say, hey, both of us, we've noticed you doing this. We lovingly bring you the word and we prayerfully ask that you, you please stop this. And if they don't listen to you, you go to the third stage. You, you bring it before the elders of the church. You bring it before the congregation and they are, they are excommunicated. They are kicked out of the church for a time with the goal of restoration. It's not just kick them out because they're not perfect because none of us are perfect. If all of our sins, all of our thoughts, all that we do were up on the screen, none of us would be qualified to be here. But this is how God has, has created us to operate, that in the mess of our lives, in the fickleness and the flakiness and the forgetfulness and all these things that is us, we don't look to ourselves as our Savior. We look to the one who paid it all, who lived a perfect life, who makes us humble and we can say, yes, I have fallen. I have sinned against God alone. And Jesus says, I forgive you. I've already forgiven you. On the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, I've already forgiven you. Therefore, you can confess with no fear of condemnation. You can tell your friend with no fear of rejection from your Savior. I'm not saying this is easy. But we move from 
execution to excommunication with the goal of restoration. Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, we lay down our lives for others. If there's someone here, if you're listening online, if there's someone who's drifting, wandering away, we lay down our lives for them, plead with them that they would come back to the community, to the family of God. Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, we lay down our life for others. In this, in this section in 1 Kings, chapter 18, verses 20 to 40, God is shown to be the one true God. He is the one true God of Israel. He is the one true God of the universe. God wanted everyone to know that. And this is exactly what happened. Verse 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. But again, it was too late. Their worship of false gods, their worship of Baal was punishable by death and is required by God. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 7 to 10. They might suggest that you worship the gods of peoples who live nearby or who come from the ends of the earth. But do not give in or listen. Have no pity and do not spare or protect them. You must put them to death. Strike the first blow yourself, and then all the people must join in. Stone the guilty ones to death because they have tried to draw you away from the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. Then all Israel will hear about it and be afraid, and no one will act so wickedly again. The record of these events in 1 Kings 18 is intended for people to turn away from false gods and cling to the true God. Now Baal, he's this big goat-like, we're not sure exactly what he looked like, thing. And people today still worship him. There's big monuments of Baal. And people will show up and they will worship him. So that's easy to point out as wrong. But there's a lot of things in our lives that might not look like that. We don't go to this temple underground and it's dark and you bring a candle and you sing these chants. This is what people think the church is, by the way. They think it's a cult. It it looks strange to those who do not understand. But we might not follow after Baal. But our hearts invent all sorts of different gods all the time. Whatever determines the shape and the direction of your life, that is your God. Whatever determines the shape and the direction of your life, that is your God. We all worship something. We all worship someone. Whether it's us whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a politician, whether it's an internet guru, we all follow someone. And our hearts continually invent idols and we ignore God. First Kings, this, the message is simple. Place your hope in the one true God alone. 
Not in your position. Not in your possessions. Not in your individualism. Not in your social justice cause. Not in your political platform. In God alone. We need to put things in its right perspective and elevate God to the top of everything. God interprets the other spheres of our life. These false gods are not our sense of strength. They're not our sense of significance. These gods cannot save you. They will not save you. Elijah is saying something very simple. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If the Lord is God, follow Him. We say this to every Yukoner. We say this to the people in our family. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. Don't be limping in between the two. Don't go to church on Sunday and live like a wretch the rest of the week, limping in between two opinions. Elijah is saying, if the Lord is God, follow Him with everything that you are, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If the Lord is God, follow Him. Elijah would not fit well in our very inclusive society. All religions are not correct. It is logically impossible to say that Buddhism is true, Islam is true, Christianity is true, Hinduism is true, all these gods are true. Let's just coexist. That is impossible. That is insane. There is only one true God. Elijah is saying, if Baal is God, follow him. And be destroyed. And go to hell. Hell is a very real place. Because you and I will stand before God in judgment with our life laid bare for what we've done and what we've said and what we've thought and what we didn't do. Every one of us accountable for ourselves. We can't say, well, my mom's a Christian or my grandma's a Christian or I was baptized when I was five. We will give an account and that won't be enough. Our only access into the glorious thrones of heaven is through what Jesus Christ did. It's through His perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He absorbed hell for us. He took it upon Himself that we would be set free. He was killed so that we would live. We are offered forgiveness. There is no other message. And we have to understand that, yes, it is unpopular, and yes, the Christian voice is getting smaller and quieter and quieter. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be biblical. We need to be prayerful in how we are to engage in our workplace. How we are to think of politics. 
We must seek God for wisdom. We must go to the one true God. I'll close with this verse from Romans chapter 5, verse 10 to 11. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new life. This is a heavy message. But if we are to be faithful to God's word, we want to teach the entirety of it. Some of the seeming ugly parts, like this one. But there is hope, and it's found in Jesus Christ alone. The Christian message is one message. Follow God. Repent and reject all false gods. Run to God. You have access to him because of what Jesus Christ has done. He calls you friend. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. If the Lord is God, follow him. If you're struggling with that, maybe this is your first time hearing this, and maybe this is a thousandth time, you just haven't made that leap, and you're limping between two opinions, seek God in prayer. He will not reject you. If you have questions, please talk to me. I would love to hear about your journey. I would love to tell you about this one true God. If you're you're a Christian, you're struggling. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but you're just in a dry, boring season. And you think, wait, why, why am I a Christian? Why would I follow after this God? I still suffer. My kids still get sick. I still get depressed. I still don't have a spouse. My friends still die. Let me pray with you. Let me cry with you. Let me tell you about this one true God who's going to restore all things and wipe away every tear. Who loves you now. Who's loved you always. And demonstrated that by going to the cross for you. Lord is God, follow him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, with heavy hearts, we bring our life to you. We want to follow you. Heavenly Father, teach us what it means to follow after you and not after the shiny things of this world that so easily distracts And let us not get caught up in comparison. But let us look to you. Let us follow after you. Give us courage when we have none. Give us hope when we feel hopeless. That we would love you, trust you, and look to you alone. We pray this in the very beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.